This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One on, nobody out. The 2-0 pitch. Here's a swing a long fly ball in the left field. This is going to leave the park. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron. That ball's hit deep to left. This one's going to be out of here. Get up, baby. Get up. Get up. Get up. Oh, yeah. This one is going to go. Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler and the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome into the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here, and we've got a hell of a show planned today. We're going to start to, you know, bring in some of the things you may have missed if you missed the virtual winter warm-up over the weekend, and you'll hear from uh, most of the Major League roster, most of the Major League coaching staff, uh, some really cool stuff that we have planned. You're going to hear from the infielders, the starting pitchers today. Uh, we're going to get you into the game planning segment with Mike Schilt and Ali Marmol coming up here in a few minutes. And Claves, um, the winter warm-up wrapped up, and that's normally kind of right the kickstart to the new baseball year for Cardinal Nation and for all of us because we know spring training's right around the corner, and it is that. And spring training is right around the corner, and finally. Finally, it looks like the ice may be breaking in the free agent marketplace in Major League Baseball here these last couple days. Well, you're absolutely right, Kevin. And when you think about what Toronto is doing, uh, they signed uh, Springer. Toronto is now making a statement. I I think when you look at the teams that have stepped away from trying to compete, and there's a lot of them, Toronto, San Diego, obviously the Yankees are always looking to compete, and the New York Mets, uh, those are the teams that have said, you know what, if you don't want it, we'll take it. And that's throwing the <laughs> Chicago White Sox. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, those are basically the teams, you know, the White Sox, the Blue Jays, the Mets, and the Padres, that they've been the busiest. You know, there have been a few other teams that have kept their own guys, and there, there are a few that have made some moves here and there. But those are the ones that have been the busiest this offseason. And it's interesting to me to note that in all of those cases, really except San Diego, but in three of those cases, they're major, major market teams that haven't spent for basically the last eight to ten years, right? I mean, in a couple of cases, you've yeah. got to do ownership. The Padres' case, I mean, they had ten losing seasons before the short season last year. So they see an opportunity, and they're trying to go for it. But I do find it interesting that it's four teams that, like, recently haven't spent to the level you would think they would. No, and, you know, one of the things about it, I, I think when you get into labor negotiations – and I know the union is going to complain that, you know, they're not spending, teams aren't spending any money. Well, the owners have countered that now because they're taking small market teams, large market teams, and a team across the border who have all stepped up and, and signed legitimate players to legitimate deals. So this isn't a situation where they're just going to be stagnant. These teams have come from nowhere to say, we think we can win. We're not playing mm-hmm. around just to be in the postseason. We think we can win. And when you look at what Tampa did, and, you know, of course, we didn't include the Dodgers. I mean, all of these teams, it's such a diverse field as far as teams that are competing. And some of them have big ownership groups. Some of them are just trying to make money. And others are just trying to figure out where their place is. 
So I, I think the owners can throw that up on the board and say, look, you know what? We're a pretty diverse league as far as competition is concerned. So uh, please spare us with the notion that we're not spending money. And then the Players Association claims will say, uh, yeah, what about the two central divisions? <laughs> what about the Cubs? What about the Cardinals? What about the Detroit Tigers, a big market team that's not been spending here for years? That, the problem is and this I, fight is gonna is is always going to be this ridiculous back yeah. and forth, you know? But, but, you know, here's what I would say to that. Um, I think I would say here's some teams that are trying to invest in their farm systems and their futures. I mean, the Pirates and, and some other teams have gotten some very good prospects in return. And what they do with them and how they develop them, well, that's something we'll have to wait and see down the road, let alone will they keep them. Right. But I, I, I look at it in the manner where we're finding various ways to compete now and to compete for the future. So I, I think the owners are probably better armed this time around when it comes to the players. But I, I agree with you. Uh, they're going to go back and forth. And no matter what you and I say, the other <laughs> side's already dug in. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I know, you know, Cardinal fans are – tense you know they're counting the days they're they're hoping for additions to the roster and I know that claims that you know Mo has told us and he said during the winter warm-up uh that there could still be stuff that happens in baseball in spring training this year with kind of the, the pace of of things that are getting done so I guess the the best thing I can offer as advice is just wait and see I, I don't know if anything's coming. I don't know if you if you have any hints from the guys upstairs <laughs> I, I'm not predicting anything I'm just saying that we don't know it until it's all said and done and you're getting towards, let's say you're getting towards opening day, then you're going to know what the roster is going to look like. But clearly there's an open door in the central division. I mean, that's, that's obvious. Oh, there's obvious. no question. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You just got to find a way to walk through it, right? And I, I look at it this way. Um, spring training may change from the beginning till it ends uh, as far as acquisitions or, or some sort of deals that they may make. And then we may go through another phase leading up to and including Flag Day where they assess the team and say, all right, here's what we really need and here's what's out there. Because they're going to have some teams that might already start. They may start the fire sale early this year. Mm -hmm. So I, I look at if you're patient, you might get a good bargain and maybe you don't have to pay a whole year's salary. Maybe you don't have to do a lot of other things because there's going to be so many pay players that are going to be on the open market after this season that there's no reason for you to really tie yourself around a person for a long-term deal, considering how many other good players are going to be available and maybe the players in your own organization that might be ready to step up. Absolutely. All right, so we've got a busy show and a lot of fun planned for everybody. Coming up next, uh, you ever, if you've ever wondered about things that go, like what goes into game planning at the major league level, uh, that's something that Mike Schilt and Ali Marmol discussed during the winter warm-up just this past weekend. We'll let you drop a little eavesdrop on that conversation that they had with your fellow Cardinals fans coming up next. It's the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on KMOX. Back in on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler with you here. And we're, we're bringing you some of the great highlights from the virtual winter warm-up this past weekend. Uh, we figured, heck, you got all of the players and the coaches all spread out over the course of these virtual events. We might as well give you guys some of the highlights of it. So if you've ever wondered about game planning and what goes into that, uh, there was a great segment this past weekend involving Mike Schilt, Ali Marmol, and it was hosted by Fran Charles from MLB Network. Mike, let me start with you. What's it mean to you that this organization 
has put so much trust in you, not only as a manager, but throughout the better part of the last, you know, 15 to 20 years or so? You know, it's really a blessing that uh, quite candidly I didn't think would ever really take place, and, and that would have been just fine. I'm super happy that it has. Um, you know, the one thing that I appreciate early on getting started in 2004 was my introduction to some people that have been in the organization and Freddie McAllister and George Kissel, both 50 and 60 years respectively. And um, you learn really quickly that people are really sincere about being good caretakers of the organization, and they are sincere about caring more about the organization they care about their own careers so um, you just want to be a good steward of what that looks like and um, I've tried to do that the best I can create value for the organization and it's led me to the spot that I'm in now and I'm, I'm super appreciative of having it. And Ali I mean you were a rock star at the College of Charleston and the Cardinals ended up picking you up in in 2007 and then right away you know once your baseball playing career ended you made that transition immediately when did you know that you wanted to be a coach? Um, towards the end of my, um, last year playing, I would say it was pretty evident that I wanted to uh, continue in the game and, and be on the coaching side. I remember, uh, vividly actually sitting in between, um, the backfields, field two and five, and Tony LaRusso was speaking to the group, the minor league group, and I was sitting there listening to Tony, um, give some examples of what he looks for in a player and, and the organization and how to move up through the levels and just the accountability there. And I was listening to it, not so much as a player, but I, I was remembering his words as like, man, I want to use some of this when I start coaching. I knew that was the, the time to start thinking about maybe transitioning. Um, but I, I've always had a passion for teaching, and it was a very easy transition once uh, that decision was made. Mike, what is it about Ollie that struck you so well? I mean, Mike, you and I are about the same age. Look, we both look great. But, I mean, this kid's a baby. <laughs> I mean, this kid this kid, this kid, kid started coaching when he was 31. And now yeah. now he's, he's riding shotgun with you as, as a bench coach. But what, what was it about Ollie that you wanted to make sure he was on your staff when you took over? Well, probably a long answer, but a, a, it'll be a good story. Um, so, I was a part, I was scouting the area when Ollie was playing at College of Charleston. Okay. So I was Ollie's area scout. <laughs> and, and so we drafted him, and then I started coaching him that summer in, in Batavia, the New York Penn League, with uh, Mark John as our manager. I was a hitting coach. and um, So what struck me initially about Ollie was the way he played, and he had no fear. He had no fear of the baseball. Like, I saw him in an inter-squad game just absolutely wear one. Um, and – like a champ and just like, man, this guy's, this guy's something different about his, just his makeup and, his, and he's got a presence. Then you get to know him and you appreciate he's got a super high capacity. Um, you know, you mentioned, I, I believe Ollie's the youngest bench coach in the history of major league baseball. And, um, you know, I still have to remind myself um, as we interact and, and, you know, he's continues to grow in the position and he's done a fantastic job for us in a lot of capacities, including our bench coach. But when I got the opportunity to, to pick that spot two years ago and make it permanent, it was a no-brainer for me. And and um, you know, it really, it's uh, it's he's way beyond his age and, and how he handles himself, his wisdom. Um, he's just like I say, he's got a super high capacity. He's organized. He's got great communication skills. Um, you know, just a lot of skill sets that make Ali special. Uh, and Ali, how much do you think Ali? I mean, your your managerial, I mean, career in the minors has helped prepare you for the role that you have now. And and were you surprised when Mike uh, said, hey, let's move you from first base coach to bench coach? A- absolutely. Um, w- when I look back at my minor league career as a coach, uh, there was a lot of 
good people around me and I kept my mouth shut and asked a lot of questions. Um, didn't try to give a whole lot of answers, just ask questions. And those people were Mark DeJohn, Gary LaRock and Mike Schilt. And they, um, they were very intentional early on showing me what this looked like, um, how to handle myself, how to approach players, how to handle my career. And they were, they were just extremely, extremely intentional. And, and I'm appreciative of that. But I, I gained a lot of wisdom from those three guys. And um, I carried it out into how I approached what I do on a daily basis. So um, if it wasn't for them, I don't think I'd be close to this position. Um, so surprised, yes, um, because of my age and, and the amount of responsibility that comes with that. But I, I took a lot of the wisdom that came from those three guys and applied it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super appreciative. All right, uh, Mike, let me start with you without giving away too many secrets here. What's what, what's a typical game day like for you? Let's say, you know, a, a 7 o'clock start. Take us from start to finish on, on how your day unveils. Well, it's going to depend on if it's the first game of the series or not. What is going to do like a first game of a typical series? Um, it, it was modified last year with COVID. I think it's going to be closer to what it looked like last year than what we historically looked like. Hopefully things open up and get back to whatever normal is. But, um, you know, effectively, um, we could get in the stadium five hours before the game started last year. So I'm there at 2 o'clock. Um, First game of a series, um, a lot of the prep work has been done by the staff. Uh, I'm going to come in. I'm going to collect my notes from the previous day. I put them into a couple of different buckets. Um, communication I have to have individually with people, players, staff, and then what we're going to cover in our staff meeting, <clears throat> excuse me, and then just some personal things I need to do in the course of the day and some things I need to catch up with. Um, and so we'll meet probably by an hour in after that, around 3 o'clock of the staff. Uh, go over and talk about and everybody on their individual pockets, the hitting guys, the defensive guys, the base running, and then the pitching. We'll talk through what that st- um, series is going to look like um, and go through and, and discuss that. And, again, everybody's done their prep and homework. Historically, what we've done is we've taken and talked about the previous day's game. We don't do that as much on the first day of a series. Um, we will spend some time on it, unpacking what just happened. Because we we're super, I'll use the word I love it, is intentional about uh, being the best at getting better as the game goes, as the, the series goes, the season goes. So we do that in a reflective manner. Um, we talk through it. It's very interactive. People are um, able to share their thoughts regardless of their, um, of their, you know, if they're a hitting guy, they still share thoughts about big picture things. Um, and then – you know, once that takes place, I got an idea of where everybody is with that. Uh, go back. Um, we didn't take a lot of BP last year, so uh, and the media was different, as you know, Fran. Right. Um, so there was a brief little media session with Zoom, um, and then got back to and we we couldn't meet. We had to be super um, uh, flexible in how we shared our information with our players based on the distancing and based on their schedules. Um, so we would meet and have a little bit of a ball talk with the with the regulars kind of set up what this, what the series looks like, the kind of club we're playing, some of the big tendencies, some of the big picture things that we're responsible for doing our homework on and sharing with the group. Um, we do talk about that day starter. We'll talk about a little bit about what some of that bullpen will look like, some of the things we can expect to see out of the bullpen. Um, and then right before the game starts, uh, Ollie and Mad Dog, Mike Maddox, our pitching coach, will get together and we'll, we'll, we'll game plan the, the game out to, as best we can prior to the game happening. So 
we talk about being prepared for the black and the white. So when the gray stars were ready for it, <laughs> and then after the game, you know, you spend some time, hopefully not a lot with your trainer. Um, <laughs> you have another media session right. and then me and Ollie unpack the day and, and work together on the lineup for the following day. I, I want to give Ollie a shot here, uh, just in, in a typical season as well. What, Ollie, what's your day like? And then also just the difference for you, because a lot of people might not quite grasp that, they, look, there are different responsibilities, first base coach, third base coach, bench coach. So, so what, what are the differences for you from going from first base to now being the bench coach? Yeah, I, I would describe my position uh, in one sense. I would say it's assisting Schulte with, with the vision he has for the team on the field and then making sure that we're just ensuring that it's taking place with a great amount of detail. And my day looks very similar to what he just described. Um, I, I get to the park around the same time, and I'm looking for opportunities to assist all the staff members so that they're prepared for the meeting that he just described and make sure everything's in place for that. Um, that everyone knows what times and where we're meeting. And then um, I go over each area, whether that's the base running, the defense, the hitting, and make sure that those guys all have what they need um, for that series. Um, but my day looks actually pretty identical to that outside of the media um, responsibilities that, that Schulte has, but more assisting each team member with what they need to carry out that day. And that was from the game planning virtual event from the winter warm-up this past weekend. Uh, Fran Charles there, the moderator, with Mike Schilt and Ali Marmol. want to remind you that you can gear up for the season with a subscription to Cardinals Magazine, your premier source for Cardinals coverage in season and out. Sign up at cardinals.com slash magazine, or you can call 314-345-9000. Coming up next, we're going to hear a little bit from Claves. Mike Claiborne hosted the infielders uh, for a virtual event this past weekend during winter warm-up. So you'll hear from Claves, Paul Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond, Matt Carpenter, and more. That's coming up next here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. We are rolling along on the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler with you. Talking some ball, and as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, things are starting to happen. So obviously these next few weeks leading up to spring training should be pretty informative for all of us as we're trying to figure out what things are going to look like in 2021. Now we know this past weekend the Cardinals held their virtual winter warm-up. It was a really nice audible on the fly to figure out a way to allow fans to interact with their favorite players, with the coaches, the broadcast team. And we, we, we got a chance to see some really cool conversations uh, over the weekend. Well, we thought we'd you know, spend this, this week on the Countdown Show bringing you some of the highlights, giving you the opportunity to hear from all of these guys. And in this segment, we're focusing on the infielders. Mike Claiborne had a chance to talk with Paul Goldschmidt, Andrew Kisner, Paul DeYoung, Tommy Edmond, Matt Carpenter, and kind of look at how things set up when you're a major league infielder. You've been a first baseman for a while. You've won gold gloves. What are some of the things, the common mistakes you see young first basemen make? And if you can give any advice to some of our younger viewers on how to play that position, are there three basics that you try and follow? You know, the best advice I got was honestly to stay out of the way. You know, there's a reason that you're playing first base and the other guys are playing (laughs) second base, shortstop, and third base. We're almost like an umpire, you know. You don't get noticed unless you mess up, so – really don't try to do too much. You know, if you get a ground ball, just make the routine play. And, you know, don't, you know, mistakes that are made is when you're trying to make a great play, make a throw that you shouldn't normally make or, you know, do something kind of out of the ordinary. I mean, you know, whether it's turning a double play, I'm just trying to get the ball 
to Paulie in the middle of the field and let him be quick and get it back to me or to whoever he's throwing it to. I don't try to be too quick. Just take my time. Like I said, let those guys, let the athletes and, you know, the best guys on the field do their job. And, and I just, you know, try to catch the ball and make the routine plays. All right, so you youngsters at home, stay out of the way unless they hit it to you and everything else will work itself out. Is that good advice, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I would just say more, just don't try to do too much. You know, if you're trying to make all these crazy plays, you're going to end up making errors. If you just make the routine play, you know, you're going to do some great things and and you'll end up making some great plays too. Hey, Paul DeYoung, uh, you weren't always a shortstop. Talk about some of the other positions that you played during the course of your, your baseball career and how you arrived at short. And I remember your first game in San Diego. We, we thought you were a third baseman when you got called up, and all of a sudden we see you get plugged in at short and you haven't left. Yeah, well, I was always a shortstop growing up, even through high school. And then I got to college, and I kind of got moved around there. That's when I learned how to catch. I played second base, played third base, played a little right field at one point. Um, and thankfully, I, I had a broken thumb right before the draft in 2015, and um, no one really wanted to pick me as a catcher. And so I, I kind of lucked out, and uh, in A, Dan Billardello gave me a chance to play shortstop, and I played short at the fall league, and, you know, just the rest is history. I, uh, you know, I found like I unlocked my defense a little bit when I moved over to shortstop. My arm action was better. My uh, accuracy, my arm strength, everything just seemed to be more intuitive. Everybody here we're talking to has played various positions uh, on the infield. What's the biggest difference in how you take, how you defend hitters? Uh, you guys have a lot of information from a scouting report, but what's the biggest difference from one position to another on how you defend hitters? I'll start off with you, Matt. You know, if I'm playing third, um, just the the amount of reaction time um, that I have. At, you know, on a ball, the, you know, how much time you have to, to make a decision as far as how fast balls are getting on you uh, comes into play. But from a defensive standpoint over there, I mean, you got to know whether the guy bunts. I mean, that's a huge um, thing that Stubby and I are always, you know, on top of, um, you know, because, you know, if what kind of runner he is, um, all these things come into play. And um, I, I think as you move across the infield, it obviously adjusts um, a little bit more. And, I, you know, I think some of our other guys can speak to that. Hey, you know, Paul and Tommy, you guys play up the middle uh, and you get a chance to peek and see what signs are being shown. How much does that give you an advantage and how do you make sure you don't tip what you think the next what the hitter is going to think the next next pitch might be? Because if he sees what you guys are trying to do, he may have a better idea of what to look for as far as the pitch is concerned. So how do you try and make sure you don't tip your hand? That's the game within the game that uh, some of these veterans and more experienced guys can play. So. You know, really just trying to be subtle and late, I would say. Um, obviously, paying attention and being aware of the signs before they happen. And then uh, just, so, you know, it's like a step or two. Cheo, Cheo and I uh, talk a lot about, like, holding runners on, like trying to get back in position. But he says, really, just stopping your feet wherever you are is going to be better than you trying to get to some place before the ball's hit and then it's hit the other way or, you know, these things can happen. So, you know, really small adjustments, I think, are are – really what make the difference and then anticipating a direction will allow you to get off the ball quick and make a nice play. Tommy, what about you in that situation? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you definitely don't want to be moving like two or three steps one way or another before uh, the pitcher even comes set. Cause that's a pretty clear indication. So kind of what Paul was saying was making sure it's, it's late and subtle. And for me, it can almost be more like a lean. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of, um, 
almost like cheating in one direction if I know if I'm for example if I'm playing second and it's a change up and I know the guy likes to hook it then I can kind of be like leaning towards that uh, that hole towards first base because um, I know there's a pretty good chance he'll be hitting it over there um, so and also yeah just knowing the hitter and knowing the pitcher and what their matchups have looked like before um, and just knowing how they how they react to certain pitches so just little things like that Andrew, you've you played on the infield growing up and played it in college. What about, though, behind the play? Footwork is ever so important as far as tracking balls and certainly those balls in the dirt. How often and what do you try and do to work on those things? Yeah, footwork's important. I think the most important thing with footwork is throwing. Um, and, you know, growing up as an, as an infielder and a shortstop, you know, that's always been something natural for me. So, you know, it's all about just moving your feet quick behind the plate when you make throws. Um and, you know, I do a lot of ladder work, a lot of speed and agility stuff in the offseason to kind of to work on that quick burst and, and moving quick behind the plate because, you know, obviously a catcher is not like an infielder. We don't have to run around the entire field. We just have to be pretty quick and agile in a, in a small area. So just moving quick and, and just having that quick twitch mindset, that really helps. All right, here's one question I'll throw around the horn to everybody. You guys play the position – but what other players do you like to watch play, especially if you don't have to hit it to them? I'll start with you, Paul. You're up. Other shortstops that I watched uh, growing up, it was Rafael Fercal. And uh, uh, now it's Lindor and Trevor Story, even Javier Baez. Those guys make some insane plays. And you know, always trying to learn from, from what I see and watching other shortstops. That's been you know, one of my focuses over the last couple of years. Tommy Edmond, you've seen a few guys in your brief career in the big leagues. Who's caught your eye? I mean, probably Colton. He was the <laughs> best second baseman in in, uh, in baseball right now. And just to have the chance to learn learn some stuff from him over the past few years has been incredible. And I've picked up on a lot of stuff that um, hopefully I'll be able to take over into this year. Matt Carpenter, you've seen a few guys at second, third, short, and first. Who are some of the people that have really impressed you? One of the guys I liked watching – Former Cardinal uh, Scott Rowland over at third base, the guy could really play to that position. And then, you know, now, I mean, the guy that for me, and there's one in each league, and there, it's hard to pick between the, both of them, but um, Arenado and Matt Chapman are about as good as they get. Andrew Kisner, you've seen a few guys at various positions. You work with a guy in Yadier Molina who's as good as anybody. Who are some of the other yeah, Yadi, uh, he's a great guy to watch and learn from. Um, but when I first converted to catching, the guy I probably looked at and studied the most was Buster Posey just because he went through a similar transition route. So that's one guy I watched a lot. And that was the infielders virtual segment from this past weekend on the winter warm up, of course, hosted by my buddy Mike Claiborne. All right, so I want to remind you that, you know, it may be cold outside now, but it's okay to dream about the summer months, and you can enjoy some time together. We can all enjoy some time together outside, and Cardinal Special Events offers all sorts of unique options for celebrating outdoors at Bush Stadium. From cocktails on the warning track to brunch in the bullpen, your group can make memories that will last a lifetime. Visit cardinals.com slash events to find out more. All right, coming up next, we're going to go inside the kitchen. No, I don't mean that fastball on the inside part of the plate. I'm talking about in the actual kitchen. Brad Thompson hosted In the Kitchen with Paul DeYoung during the winter warm-up. We'll take you inside coming up next. And, of course, we've got a lot more to do after that, too, here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on KMOX. 
We're on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler with you here until we get to uh, the top of next hour. So we got a lot more to get to. We'll hear from the starting pitchers coming up next hour. Uh, we'll also uh, go kind of off the field with a couple of these these great virtual experiences we had from the winter warm-up. Next hour we'll talk or we'll hear from some of the best-dressed birds, um, and that was an interesting segment. In this segment, we're going to go off the field as well. And we're going in the kitchen. This was a fun conversation between Brad Thompson and Paul DeYoung as they literally take us inside the kitchen. What are you cooking? What do you think? What's your specialty? Well, uh, my dad taught me my signature dish. It's called uh, steak au poivre. It's a pepper crust, peppercorn crusted filet mignon with uh, a brandy cream sauce. Um, it's one of my favorite things to make. It's pretty decadent and delicious. And you know, I like to make little variations here and there and throw some mushrooms in there. That is very fancy. That's impressive. Sounds like a lot of dishes, too, when you do something like that. It sounds it sounds uh, fancier when it's French, so I think that's all you're hearing there. Um, no, that's it. Keep your station clean, like they said in Ratatouille, so I try to do dishes while I go. Where did your passion for food start? Did it start out of just necessity? I'm at college. Dude, I'm hungry, or I mean, what was it for you? Yeah, well... Uh, to be honest, it started when I was a freshman in high school. I uh, tore my ACL and was pretty much laid up on the couch all fall. And I started watching Food Network. And uh, Bobby Flay was my favorite. I watched uh, Boy Meets Grill, um, uh, all, the, all the other ones that he did. I can't remember. He had a few shows I liked. And, uh, you know, I just started watching how, how he cooked and how he went about things and how you combine flavors and techniques and you know, cutting and all these, all these little facets to cooking. And, you know, I just started practicing every night. I, I cooked for the family um, just because I was there. I couldn't do sports. So I was just kind of watching Food Network, figuring out what I want to make. And I got real creative with it and kind of, it kind of grew from there. Now, I know we're, we're a few years down the road, all right, for like whatever your next thing in life is going to be. We already know the, the background that you have, the science background. The, the, I'm sure you'll have a lab set up somewhere. Could you see something with food? Could you see something like sort of a, owning a restaurant or, or just doing something like that in your future? Yeah, and, um, you know, that's something I've been toying with just uh, kind of as an idea. And But I don't want to lose that passion um, in mixing it with work. So, We'll see if I want to invest in a restaurant moving forward, but I'll always enjoy cooking for my friends and family just because of just the way it brings everyone together, food, community, um, you know, taking responsibility for your health, all those things can kind of factor in. And, you know, I just, I'm kind of a little bit of a control freak at times too. So um, when I'm in the kitchen, I'm the executive chef, I'm uh, even commanding my grandmother around, which I know she doesn't. Uh, love that too much, but she listens and she uh, she bounces things off. She's a good sous chef, so you know I work well with um, with my family in the kitchen, just coming up with ideas as a group. What we what do we want to make for family meals? I'm always involved with that, and you know I think I'll always have a passion for cooking. I'm sure your grandma's okay with it if the finished product is good. If you're bossing her around and it's it's not great, she's gonna let you have it. Yeah, walk the walk. Um, you know, I can give her all the ideas in the world, but you got to execute them. <laughs> all right. So you were talking about Bobby Flay, right? And digging in all this stuff. I get stuck for hours. And not that it's like necessarily a chef show, but I watch diners, drive-ins, and dives all the time. I can't get enough of that Love one. It. Yeah, that's one that I try to like hit if I'm going across the country. I try to find one of those yeah. ones. But Bobby Flay, right? He's throwing stuff in from, from everywhere. If I'm cooking in the kitchen... I need a recipe and you got to be showing me every little thing. And Paul, if I don't have one thing, I'm going to the store to get it. 
How yeah. do you cook? Do you do you go by the book? Are are you mixing and matching? How do you do it? Uh, I like to mix and match. Um, generally, I'll like to read a recipe if I'm looking. I'll I'll read a recipe at the beginning and just kind of get a, a general outline in my head, and then I'll just try to execute it from there. I, I feel like I can never concentrate when I'm going back and forth to the recipe over and over. It makes my head hurt. So at that point, I just let I just kind of wing it and put it all together and try to use some intuition and uh, just uh, practice and you know. The recipes are great for ideas, but when it comes down to, you know, step by step, I'm not following those directions. <laughs> You're fearless. Fearless. Yeah, I don't have that in the bag when, when I'm cooking. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you exactly what it said uh, with it. You mentioned you mentioned the health aspect of it before, too, right? Taking ownership of your own health. Like, when, when did you start my entire career, basically, until, like, the last couple of years? Nobody really talked about nutrition. It wasn't part of, like, being in the, in the clubhouse. Nobody worried about eating healthy. Nobody really talked about, hey, I'm going to go home and grill up some chicken. Like, when did you start worrying about the nutrition aspect or thinking about that throughout your career? Uh, I guess it would be in the last few years. Um, I've always thought about eating a balanced diet and, you know, having vegetables and, and protein, especially as an athlete. So you know, there's a lot of specifics we could dive into. But overall, when you're young, you feel like you can go forever on whatever you put in your body, you know, Flamin' Hot Cheetos and Arnold Palmer. But uh, moving forward, if I want to stay in the league for a while, I need to, uh, you know, really take advantage of of what I do to my body and, and how I take care of myself. And so, you know, a lot of research has been done, um, you know, as far as what what healthy foods we should be eating. And you now really just trying to become a better consumer overall. Um, someday I'll, I have aspirations to, you know, have a farm and have my own livestock to tend to and these other types of ideas. But until then, um, I'm more just trying to be a, a good consumer and, and know where my product, what I'm eating is coming from. You know, I like to stick with, you know, the pasture raised grass fed, you know, meats, um, I've been trying to find corn and soy free stuff, um, eggs and chicken style things, um, really, uh, just wild caught seafood, um, you know, eating the right fats, um, butter, coconut oil, olive oil, avocados, um, you know, nuts for energy and, and, you know, just a few little fruits, uh, you know, berries and, uh, pears and apples and oranges. That's basically, you know, I like to keep it simple, but, um, you know, really just execute things properly. But I think information like that, it's a new year. I guarantee we got people watching this Zoom right now. They made resolutions. They broke them seven or eight times over. But mm-hmm. the the idea, right, uh, of continually eating healthy, that's always a good one to, to remind yourself because, uh, and I know that you can tell about this firsthand, you feel so much different when you're eating the right stuff, and that stuff shows up on the field, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this has been a great opportunity for a lot of us to cook at home more, uh, not eating out as much, um, you know, making better choices with our food. So I think a lot of people over this last year have really learned about what they need to do in the kitchen and and how to eat properly. And so, you know, I've definitely learned a lot and cooked a lot more this year, which is all enjoyable because like you said, you feel so much better. Um, And that's kind of where I get with the uh, wild game. It's like going out to get it, and then cutting it up, then cleaning it, then cooking it, then eating it, then doing the dishes. It goes all the way, step by step, and and that's really the most satisfaction you can get as far as eating process. Now, uh, we were talking about 
the idea of maybe having a farm, having your own food, you know, again, knowing where everything's coming from. You got some teammates with farms, don't you? Matt Carpenter, I believe that the last, the, the last zoom just a few minutes before we started, he was out on his farm. Does he have animals out there? Do you know? Yeah. I was uh, asking Carp to buy one of his cows for the year, you know, just stock the freezer and, uh, you know, just have your meat for the rest of the year. I was asking him how long a cow would would last him and his family, you know, this little things like that, that Carp might know. Um, uh, yeah, I got a, a chance to go see his ranch a couple years ago and it's really beautiful, um, near Dallas. And, uh, yeah, he's got, uh, plenty of deer on his land and I think he definitely has some livestock cows. And I think he has some chickens as well. I think he's got a pond in there too. So you get a little air, a little sea, a little land. And that was inside the kitchen. Uh, with Brad Thompson and Paul DeYoung from this past weekend's winter warm-up. Of course, one of the great, interesting, kind of less baseball-oriented, get-to-know-your-favorite-players kind of events from the virtual winter warm-up. All right, I want to remind you guys that for the best baseball content and hot stove updates this offseason, just follow at MLB on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, the Cardinals Kids Club, it's presented by Rawlings, is the exclusive fan club for kids 13 and under. Membership includes access to exclusive virtual events and items including a fleece blanket and a wall sign, all for just $33. You can join at cardinals.com slash kidsclub. All right, coming up next, I'm going to close out this hour by giving away a 2021 Cardinals calendar. So stay with us here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. We are wrapping up our number one here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here. Some really fun stuff with the starting rotation coming up next hour. We'll also let you hear from some of the best-dressed Cardinals during the best-dressed bird segment from this past weekend at the winter warm-up as well. Right now time to talk about the 2021 calendar. In fact, the 2021 Cardinals calendar celebrates 12 epic moments in Cardinals history and gets you ready for baseball with spring training and regular season schedules all booked in. And you can get it at your area grocers and retailers or by calling 314-345-9000. Now, one lucky person gets one for free right here, and that's the first caller at 314-531-1120. That's 314-531-1120. The first caller picks up their 2021 Cardinals calendar for free. All right, coming up next, Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler here. We're going to be taking you a little bit deeper into the winter warm-up. A lot more to get to in this next hour. Stay with us here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. One on, nobody out. The 2-0 pitch. Here you swing a long fly ball in the left field. This is going to leave the park. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron. That ball's hit deep to left. This one's going to be out of here. Get up, baby. Kevin Wheeler and the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Hour number two, the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here in Claves. Bring in, we're bringing some of the highlights of the winter warm-up from this past weekend. And obviously, different than usual. Normally, we're all in the same place at the same time. And the conversations are in, fa- in you know, face-to-face and the, and the panel conversations are on the stage in front of a live audience. Well, today, or I shouldn't say today, but this weekend, it was a live audience, but it was all done via Zoom, which is like the rest of our lives at this point. But I thought it was really good. There was a lot of cool things that 
that got discussed. I really enjoyed the the piece that we heard here a little bit ago of the panel that you moderated with the Cardinals infielders with Paul Goldschmidt uh, and and Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmond and and Matt Carpenter. I thought that was a a, a really informative kind of fun little in, informal setting there. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and you know, and Kevin, you've played enough baseball to understand that the infield is a very interesting element of the game and how to play it because it's a game within itself. And to hear how guys prepare uh, the other things that they have to do and be aware of as far as the game and the situation is concerned was was really refreshing because uh, I grew up in an era where we saw teams take infield every day on the field. And when the Cardinals of the 80s played, it was like watching the Harlem Globetrotters. So – when you think about how they prepare now, it, it's completely different where they don't take as many ground balls during the course of a game or course of a day. And they don't do things in a certain manner. They don't throw the bases and practice on hitting cutoff people. And yet, and still, they're still expected to be able to do all of those things. So it, it was a very enlightening conversation, not to mention we had uh, Stubby Clapp, the Cardinals yeah, infielder yeah. coach, and also uh, Pop Warner, who's done everything in baseball. And we got his take on what he looks for in a third-base coach about infielders and positioning uh-huh. and how they handle cutoff moves and things of that nature. So uh, I think for anybody who, who hasn't had a chance to hear it, uh, we'll play some of it. it it's, it's a lot of fun just to kind of get a better feel. So when you do see the game at the ballpark or you hear us talking about it on the radio, you have a better understanding on why this took place. So coming up, uh, Claves, after we wrap up this segment, in the next couple of segments, we're going to hear from the starting pitchers. And that was a panel over the weekend that was hosted by Greg Amsinger from MLB Network. Uh, and, you know, you got all of the the, the rotation candidates in there. Uh, Mike Maddox was in there. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're not going to – I don't want to give away much of what's talked about because I heard some of it over the weekend. But, I mean, in, that, in this these couple of segments, we're really looking at – what'll probably be the heart of the team, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about the bullpen and how impressive it's going to be. Uh, and by the way, they had their own segment, <laughs> their, their own their own uh, virtual segment this past weekend too. But the starters are probably going to be, um, what would you say, the, the, the bellwether on the team? Like if they're really good, I think the team's going to be really good, offense or not. And if they have some issues, well, they're going to need a little bit more of that offense to chip in. Oh, there's no question that they're going to need some more offense. And I think that's really the big question going into spring training. Where is the offense going to come? And ironically, I think that was the same question we were asking last year going into spring training. Um, and, and what I look at more than anything else is when I look at a Paul Goldschmidt, who's a really good player, and I know some would say, well, I thought he'd be better than this. Well, he's been very good, but the problem, I think, Kevin, is there hasn't been that element of protection in front of him or behind him to really make him effective. And until they figure that out, uh, we're going to see a team that I think things will even be more motivated in pitching around Goldschmidt and just saying, yeah. hey, we'll let somebody else beat yep. us. And and who that's going to be, I don't know if he's on the roster right now. I, I think he's got to be somewhere else because we saw enough of the current roster to know that that player may not exist as we know it. Is is that player potentially the guy we saw in the postseason in that role? I mean, could they? Would they? I mean, might they end up with Dylan Carlson in that spot? Which is, you know, again, a lot to ask of a young guy for a, for a six six month season, one hundred sixty two mm-hmm. games. It's one thing, you know, when he was the hottest bat on the team in the last couple of weeks of the regular season, and you leave him there for the postseason. But it's another thing entirely to basically say, "Here you go, buddy, six months." <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know what? Well, here's the thing. 
And, and I'm going to flip the order a little bit. I think Carlson would be an interesting three hitter. Okay. I think he'd be a better we'll put three him in hitter. Front of maybe. Goldie. Yeah, put him in front of Goldie uh, because he's going to see a lot of pitches. And if you can get somebody on in front of him who has speed, and this is where a Colton Wong would have come into play or somebody at the top of the order who can run the bases. Uh, if you can get a guy who's throwing fastballs to a guy like Carlson, he's going to make you pay. All right. And if you have a guy on base, that's going to turn everything around. But I really feel like Carlson could be probably a better three hitter uh, for this team or maybe a two hitter. Yeah. And maybe you slip Goldie down to the four spot and, and, and try your luck there. And maybe DeYoung's your five hitter. I mean, there's a lot of things I think we have to get out of out of the current tradition of in order to make this team a little bit more effective offensively. For sure. And at the very least, Klaibs, if it is the same guys, maybe a different way of using them, you know, kind of the way that Tampa plays matchups. So some guys hit fastballs, some guys are better on off speed, yeah. Le- left, right splits. I mean, you know, cause one way or another, I mean, you, you know, prefer, I think we all prefer you, you and I for sure would prefer a new bat. That is a, that is a stabilizer in some way, shape or form. Uh, but if that's not going to happen, you got, you still got to get better and you can't just rely on individual players to, you know, automatically get better. You might have to find the way to play the matchups. Yeah, and you know what? If it comes to that, so be it. But I think the current template is something that's going to obviously need tweaking. Uh, and and I, you mentioned it. I think you and I are looking for someone from the outside to come in and do it because, as it was said to me last week, there's some guys that the audition period is over. Uh, it's time yeah. to produce. And you know, and I certainly think thinking on that same line. And it starts with the first day of spring training. I, I just don't think you can sit back and say, well, we'll let him play himself into it. No, you got to be ready to go. I mean, this is a time now where the division is yours to be had. So I'm looking beyond winning a division. Right. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how I can beat San Diego and and L.A. (laughs) and some teams like that because I think there's a huge talent difference between the two. But you have to be able to make a statement, especially when you have probably the pitching advantage over those teams. You darn sure have a bullpen advantage over both of those teams. Absolutely. All right, guys, it's still a little chilly outside. So, you know, we're all dreaming of the summer months when we can enjoy time together outside. And Cardinal Special Events offers all kinds of unique options for celebrating outdoors at Bush Stadium. From cocktails on the warning track to brunch in the bullpen, your group can make memories that will last a lifetime. To find out more, just go to cardinals.com slash events. All right, stick around. Coming up next here, uh, we're going to hear from the starting pitchers and their pitching coach, uh, Mike Maddox. We've got a couple of different segments here. We're going to have you here from the winter warm-up this past weekend. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron on KMOX. We continue on here in the second hour of the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here. And uh, again, we're kind of bringing you some of the highlights from this past weekend for all of you that may have missed the great virtual events during the virtual winter warm-up. Uh, I thought we could bring you some of the kind of the fun pieces. And I know we can't even get to nearly everything this week. We just tried to pick and choose some things that stood out for various reasons. And these next couple of segments are absolutely fantastic. Uh, this was the starting pitching uh, a virtual event. It, it was hosted by Greg Amzinger from MLB Network. It included the pitching coach, Mike Maddox, plus all the kinds of, of members of the rotation, Jack Flaherty, uh, Austin Gombert, Dakota Hudson. So here is part one of this cool starting pitching kind of roundtable hosted by Greg Amzinger from MLB Network. 
pitchers see the game in a very different way, and it's very entertaining to talk to such creative guys. Mike, uh, I want to start with you because, you know, when people look at the 2021 Cardinals, there are a lot of people thinking the Cardinals should be the favorite to win the division. The reason, because of that, no offense to the lineup, they're not going to score six runs a game. It's the depth on the mound, which is what we're showcasing here uh, in this Cardinals Care Winter Warm-Up. Would you agree with that? The Cardinals' depth pitching uh, is the strength of this team. It goes without saying. I think uh, it all starts on the bump. We've been blessed to have uh, a lot of good quality arms, but more importantly, behind those good quality arms, good quality people. And that's the reason I think we do have so much depth is everybody roots for one another. We got these, you know, um, we're going to miss Dakota big time in 21, but we're looking at, you know, Jack to come back and do what he does. And, you know, we had OKK, you know, uh, Quang Young Kim did a nice job for us. Uh, You know, Johnny Gans served us in all roles. Uh, Ponce, he picked us up huge down the stretch. We're looking for more of that. Miles coming back. We missed him last year, but he should be coming back strong like Mule. And Jake Woodford made a ton of progress in a short time last year. So we're really looking at uh, Jacob to make some noise and to get in that rotation as well. But And we take Austin Gomber. There's another one. Out of the pen, started whatever we needed. He was our utility guy. And we have options. You know, we had a pretty solid bullpen behind the starters. But I think our starting pitching, we're about eight deep, nine deep of legitimate major league starters, which uh, puts us in a – a step above a lot of teams and puts us in a pretty rare situation to have that many guys that we could drop from. Jack, I want to ask you, uh, and I want a couple of you guys to talk about it. it it's the culture when it comes to Cardinal pitching and, and how veteran guys kind of lead the, the charge, get you comfortable, then you, you thrive, and do you pass that experience down to the next wave of Cardinal pitchers? Talk about, Jack, Jack if you can, the, the culture for pitching in St. Louis on the head right there i think that's just the way that things go and that's the cool that's the culture that's been built there um you know for a lot of us coming in you know wayno has has just been there and he's been the guy to just pass that information you know you go up to him and, he, and he's there to answer any question you have uh it's a little bit intimidating at first because you know you look at him and that's you know it's adam wainwright you got michael Walker, you know coming around who you know, was an nlcs mvp and you get guys like that and you get chris carpenter who, who's always been around and so it's a little bit intimidating once you do that and you ask the questions and you start to learn some things and then all of a sudden you get guys coming up to you trying to ask you things and you're kind of, and for me it's it's still like it's still kind of weird because I still am, am going to them and asking questions and you know I don't have all the answers but uh, it's just something that we do we all help each other out everybody's got something to to share with each other. Uh, Daniel, what, how would you describe your experience in the Cardinal pitching culture? Well, they pretty much put us all together. You know, you, you, you're either going to be good or you're going to be gone, you know. Uh, came up the system with Flair, Gomber, Dak. Um, they just put good – and then even the guys who didn't really make it all the way, we still had good pitchers all the way through. So, you know, you're competing, but at the same time you're helping each other out. I've seen Gomber and Flair throw so many bullets. Like, we could pick each other's delivery apart and, you know, pick each other's pitches. Like, they probably know what I'm throwing for you can throw it every time. So, um, you know, it's that kind of culture of like a big competitive, but brothers at the same time. You know, uh, Dakota, it's hard to see a talent like you now to get you know, get injured and have a chance uh, now that you're going to be sitting watching these guys in 2021 uh, for the most part. I remember when Adam Wainwright would do the same thing and, and the team thrived and he was uh, the top step in the dugout 
all year long. And, and being injured is, is a difficult thing. But, man, sometimes the great ones, I mean, this guy, as, as corny as, as he can be, just a great dude. And he can teach you even how to be injured. Would you agree with that? And, and how, do you, how do you foresee your experience in 2021 watching and, and working with these guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously 2020, that was kind of tough having that happen. But, uh, you know, the very next day, as soon as I found out it happened, he was telling me, hey, work on your mental game, work on being a good teammate. There's a lot, just a checklist he kind of gave me on uh, just developing off the field a little bit. So, I mean, I was, I mean, it's going to be exciting to kind of watch these guys. And I mean, I think we all got a little flash of, of uh, what our rotation and what our our pitching can kind of do, but it's going to be exciting to see these guys develop. And I hope to be a part of uh, getting back at the end of the world series and uh, possibly getting back there at the end of the year. That's just trying to get healthy and, and work my way back to where I'm a part of it. So yeah, it's going to be exciting. Expect, yeah. We're, we're excited to see you, Dakota. You're, you're a terrific player to watch on the mound. Uh, John, I got to tell you, John Gant, the bullpen of the St. Louis Cardinals is another strength. Uh, this is a team that if you look at, at the other clubs in the division, uh, if you guys get three to four runs with the rotation depth and the bullpen, and you're a featured weapon in that pen, the, the bullpen cannot be overlooked either. You guys, are, you have to be excited for what, what is coming in 2021. Yes, sir. Definitely got a studly pen. Been out of the pen the past two years. But I think uh, if you look at, at my entire body of work, uh, I've got a lot of innings as a starter. And uh, looking for, for that opportunity to get back in that rotation and and uh, hopefully, you know, just compete all year in, in that rotation and help the team win as best I can. So that that is your goal right now. Where where are you trying to get that started now? Are you throwing yet? Uh, are you prepared for spring training? Oh yeah, been uh, you know throwing baseballs, catching baseballs, lift a weight or two, going <laughs> back times. Love it. No, we look forward to yeah a big twenty twenty one. Uh, Austin Gomber, how would you describe your twenty twenty season? Because my goodness, it was. Exciting! You were you were terrific. Fourteen games, made four starts, postseason appearance. Uh, appearance. How, how would you describe? Oh uh, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Um, we played a lot of games in a short period of time. You know that was once we started back up after the shutdown. I think that was kind of what we talked about was you know just pass the ball to the next guy and whatever role you had. Um, some days that was starting games of double headers. Sometimes it was throwing late in the game. Sometimes it was just coming in the starter struggling, you know, and uh, I think that's what we all kind of focused on um, in 2020, especially after the shutdown was just how could we, you know, take the ball and, and get as many outs as we can before we give it to the next guy. Uh, and, and Jake Woodford, uh, a lot of Cardinal fans want to know more uh, about you. Uh, they got a chance to see your work. Uh, and, and when you look at your career and, and what you want to be drafted out of high school in 2015, and you're looking at uh, first round picks on the screen, guys that ha have thrived in the Cardinals system. Uh, what about the Cardinals minor league system? Uh, do people not know that that has created such a pipeline of pitching talent? I think they do a great job of, uh, of pushing us. Um, you know, failure is part of the game. And I think the, the organization does a good job of, of uh, pushing us and making sure that we're, you know, really competing to the best of our ability. Um, and that was something that I was really thankful for coming through the system. And then they just surround you with guys that are that are willing to help. 
you know, I came up as a starter, but obviously was in the bullpen mainly this year. And we had a ton of guys that were, you know, always around helping out and uh, answering any questions we had. So just the culture in general, I think is awesome. All right, that's part one of the starter segment that we're going to bring you here tonight. We'll get to part two coming up next. And, of course, I want to remind you that uh, you can gear up for the 2021 season with a subscription to Cardinals Magazine, your premier source for Cardinals coverage in season and out. You can sign up at cardinals.com slash magazine or call 314-345-9000. Stick around. Part two of the starters virtual event from winter warm-up coming up next here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on Kangam OX. Back in on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here for these two hours. And this week, we're kind of going back and continuing to bring some of the cool stuff we had from the virtual winter warm-up that went from last Friday until this past Monday. And, you know, the virtual events all sold out, which was great. And it was awesome to be able to see how people can connect with their favorite players and coaches and broadcasters, uh, even in a year when we can't all gather in the same place. Now it's time to continue on with the panel of starting pitchers. Of course, Mike Maddox and Jack Flaherty and a whole bunch of other starting pitching candidates joined Greg Amsinger for a great conversation. And here's part two. There were some pitchers that that – had great seasons of others took steps back. COVID was so weird. I felt like pitchers are such creatures of habit and, and, and Jack Flaherty, they love their routine. I'm sure you love your routine. How do you describe your 2020 season? And, and do you look at it like, you know what? The whole thing was so wonky that I, I, I'm scratching it. I'm the 2019 guy t- going forward. I mean, it involves throwing into a mattress after sitting in a hotel room for about five, six, seven days and then getting back up to get going again just to shut back down. So, you know, I mean, I, myself personally, I mean, I started the first game of the year and then didn't pitch again for, you know, I think it was days or so. So it was just weird uh, all in all. But, I mean, I'm not – I don't think the confidence ever changes. You know, if you want to look at numbers or whatnot, you, you go ahead and do that. I don't really care. I know how I went out there and pitched, and I know how things went, you know, even come play, that playoff start. So, you know, it, it's never going to change, and that goes for everybody, you know, on this and, and in our in our rotation and in the bullpen because guys stepped up. Guys were unbelievable. I mean, the, you saw the our, our, how good our bullpen was, and especially the back end when you, when you talk about yeah. guys like Reyes, and we even get Hicks back. We didn't even have him last year. So you add him to, to the back end of that rotation too, and, and the way that, 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 that those guys went out there with, with Reyes and Gallegos and, uh, Cabrera and all those guys, and then you think about all the depth in the rotation. So it's it was it was fun to see a lot of guys step up, and you saw how good everybody was. And then you see the guys that you know you see us getting Hicks back, and then uh, and then Miles as well too. So it's gonna you know it's gonna be fun. What was fun was the actual World Series. I was there to watch it, and I know it wasn't like a sold out crowd or anything like that. Uh, but the, the actual games itself, really competitive, really fun. From a pitching perspective, I walked away going, okay, I've had enough. I've had enough of taking out the star pitcher who's dominating after five innings. And uh, Mike Maddox, I know that, you know, part of your job is to deal with front offices and, you know, game prep and, and, and getting the numbers and the analytics and how this guy's faring and a third time through the lineup. What was your reaction when you saw Blake Snell pulled from that game? I thought Blake Snell was on a roll. 
he was he was fun to watch. Um, really doesn't matter what I think because uh, I'm not in their shoes. Just as a baseball purist, you know, I think the fewer pitchers you have pitching the game, the better pitch game you have. So, you know, naturally one pitcher throws is a pretty darn good game. Two guys throw, that's a pretty good game too. So even the, you know, third time through the order, we all understand that. And I think if you go back to God rest Gib, um, Gibby, mm-hmm. in his year of having the one one two, he had the same numbers. I mean, did third time through, it's no different than third time through now. That has always been there. But I also think uh, there are times we have to bet on the pitcher. Are you getting better when you go to the bullpen or is your best pitcher that day on the mound? And I always think you have to stay with your best pitcher that day. It's crazy, Dakota, because I remember in the postseason, this past postseason, Zach Greinke saying, wow, I'm so happy Dusty Baker believed in me. Not to pitch in the ninth inning, to leave him in in the sixth inning. And he had felt like an organization wasn't believing him anymore. Um, as a young pitcher who embraces the numbers a lot, all of you young guys understand they do help you, they're tools. It, talk about the, the emotional impact of having Mike Maddox and your skipper, uh, Mike Schilt, walk up to you and say, no, 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 you're going to go into the seventh inning of this game. The emotional human side of that and how, how it helps your growth, Dakota, as a starting pitcher. I've kind of looked at it in, my, in the recent years of, you know, I've had to earn that for from the skipper. So, like, as I get – if I have good games and I get to earn that extra inning and earn it and keep going, uh, nationally you got to earn it with, you know, not only be able to throw but be able to hit. So, it's a great feeling whenever you don't have to worry about somebody who's right there on, on your hip coming out of the game at the fifth inning. Um, but it's also hard to have really good numbers um, going the third time through whenever you don't get to do it very often. So, um, it's just – having that like the consistency of being able to get out there and compete to be able to show what you can do. I mean, it's a great feeling to have, have your manager and your pitcher coach have your back on that too. And John Gant, doesn't the opposition um, tell you what stuff you got? Isn't that still the rule? So if, if Betts and Seager and Turner are over six with six strikeouts, chances are you've got pretty good stuff. Is that the way you still see the game? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, you're going to go out there with different stuff every single night, just about. I think it's all about just uh, giving, giving what the game takes that day, just keeping your keeping your team in a position to win that game that you're pitching right then because that's all that matters. Just Just doing whatever it takes to get deep into that game. That's interesting. Daniel, would you say that broadcasters, fans, maybe even front offices – don't that we're losing sight of the fact that you guys are humans. So just because you throw four pitches, it's it's which pitch is coming out of your hand the best that day when you get the ball. Are we paying enough attention to that in today's game, Daniel? You know, everyone is pretty much an analyst at this point, not just the guys who are professionals. So uh, probably, um, you know, as Johnny said, you go out there with different stuff every game. And, you know, I'll go out there and I'll be able to spin the curveball and we'll be throwing that every game. But then I'll go out the next game, I'll have no curveball. And then they say, why don't you throw your curveball more? I couldn't couldn't throw it. (laughs) So so, so you have to explain that. So people at home don't know what kind of conversation you would have uh, after a game. So describe that little back and forth where someone, I'm I'm assuming on the staff, front office they come pull you aside and they're walking over what you threw what you didn't throw and why 
Uh, yeah, that's that's happens more in the minor leagues. They'll be like, why aren't you throwing this pitch more and this pitch more? And then, uh, you know, when I get to Mad Dog, you'll be like, well, you weren't uh, you weren't convicted in that pitch, were you? I say, no, that's why it was a home run. So, you know, all really Mad Dog's worried about is if, if we're 100% convicted into that pitch. So mm. that's kind of the style we've been brewing under here. Yeah, and, and, and conviction, I'm sure, has something to do with the guy that's behind the plate putting the fingers down. That, uh, yeah. I love I love this picture. Um, it's in one of the magazines. This is you, Daniel, and that's with uh, the great Yadier Molina. This is when you were the seven no-hit innings. Remember that back in uh, July of 2018? That was so cool in your first outing. Look, it, it's it's the elephant in the room. You, you All of you guys are impacted by that human being who is a free agent at the moment. Um, Daniel, are you following the saga of, of Yadier Molina's free agency? Um, I'll get tidbits here and there. I don't uh, I don't use social media, so I don't really get much news, but my wife will update me here and there on things like, why are we signing this and that? And I say, I don't know. <laughs> you never know. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a guy. And also, um, not not to just push him aside, but we also had Matt Weeders, who uh, honestly, uh, you know, helped me out big time. I had that one one outing against the Indians where I didn't go one inning. And he came to me the next day with a three-page write-up of, like, who I am as a baseball pitcher and who I am as a as a, as a person. And, I mean, that was a big pick-me-up after not going one inning, you know? That's awesome. That That is an incredible story. Uh, Austin Gomber, as a young guy in a postseason game, throwing a Yachty or Molina has to cool the nerves a little bit, right? I think everybody in here would agree he's one of the best of all time, for sure. And uh, we've definitely all benefited from having him behind the plate. Um, I think a big thing for him was, you know, when I first got called up to the big leagues, just making – just makes you comfortable. Um, you know, when you first get there, you're almost a little intimidated. Like, do I shake him off? Do I not shake him off? And, <laughs> And he made sure to come up to me the first day I was there and was like, hey, like, you got to do what you got to do. Like, I don't know. I know you as a pitcher yet, so I want to see what you do, what you do well. And then from there, I mean, nowadays I don't really shake him off. I think he's caught me enough at this point to uh, to pretty much know what we want to do. Yeah, Jake, how would you describe your first uh, run-in with Yadier Molina? Um, definitely helped settle some nerves. Um you know, I actually had Weeders catch my debut, so it was um, it was kind of awesome having two, you know, catchers on the team that were such veterans, um, especially in the kind of crazy season that we had. But um, yeah, and Yachty's so approachable too. You know, he wants you to ask questions, he wants you to understand, and so once you kind of get comfortable with that, and you start asking him why, you know, there's always an answer, and it helps you understand the game more, um, and you start picking, you know, different stuff up just being around the guy. And again, that was Greg Amsinger with a bunch of starting rotation candidates, although I guess it's not really fair to say Jack Flaherty's a candidate. We know he's in there, but some of the other guys will be competing for spots in the rotation in the spring. And of course, pitching coach Mike Maddox in there with Greg Amsinger as well. All right, I want to remind you guys that for the best baseball content and hot stove update this offseason, just follow at MLB on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Stick around. We're going to go off the field one more time. It's from the virtual winter warm-up this past weekend. This is called the Best Dressed Birds. I'll explain the layout. And we'll let you hear a little bit from a couple of the Cardinals that really pay attention to fashion when they're off the field. That's next up here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. 
This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. We continue on with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here, reliving some of the fun that we had this past weekend uh, with the virtual winter warm-up and all of these great virtual experiences. And this next one is a different one. It's like last hour when we went in the kitchen with Brad Thompson and Paul DeYoung. This time we're going off the field for the segment that was called The Best Dressed Birds. Uh, it's Dexter Fowler and Harrison Bader along with Jessica Radloff. Now, Jessica is a St. Louis native, huge Cardinals fan who works for Glamour Magazine out on the West Coast. And all three of them kind of got together and talked about some things that baseball players don't always have time to talk about how they handle their wardrobe, and how important maybe their shoe collection is. Here's Jessica Radloff with Dexter Fowler and Harrison Bader. Like when I don't try to dress up, if we don't have a cool, you know, like team trip and we have to dress up on the road, you know, when I kind of just roll into the stadium and we're at home, I, I wear like really casual, like oversized stuff like that. So, um, you know, that trend and that style has kind of been around for a few years now. A couple guys do really well. Um, but when we do dress up, and I, I like to dress up more, you know, Dex says he doesn't try too much. I definitely, I, I'll admit, I, I try. I think it's fun. You mentioned Wayno. I get the best reaction from Wayno sometimes when I walk to the clubhouse. He'll just look at me and just look up and down. He'll just, I mean, his his reactions are great. And they kind of, I'm like, oh, you, you think this is good? Wait till next week, man, or wait till, <laughs> you know, wait till tomorrow. Let's see where we're at then. But I like the way, like, rock stars dress without, like, the grunge. So, like, Lenny Kravitz is a really good one. Uh, Justin Timberlake, and obviously these dudes have, like, stylists and whatnot, and, and I don't really necessarily go after, like, specific things, but I think that look overall, I think they do a really good job of, so I, whenever I try to dress up, I go for that. I love that. Dexter, how about you? I grew up in Atlanta, so it was a, it was all the actors and actresses that, that were there, the, the Tate, the Tate Diggs, the, the Mount, you know, the, um, you name it, the P. Diddy, like when he was like the whole, I, I grew up with the suit, suit and tie, the grown and sexy. I like being like, I've always looked at models. Like my parents, like my dad used to dress up for work all the time. And we, you know, we go to church. So we dress up, you know, to go to church, wear the suit and tie. When I was from a little kid on, I, I mean, my parents, you, you'll see me in old VHSs with, uh, with a turtleneck on <laughs> singing at, <laughs> singing in the choir. But uh, it was great, man. It was great. And I, I've always loved fashion. It's an art to me, right? So it's um, it's something that I, I, I take pride in, but it's about your, your individuality. I love that. So what is the first thing that you bought when you started making money? When you were like, I can actually go into a store and afford this. What's something that you had your eye on for a really long time? And when you knew you could afford it, you were like, I am buying that. I mean... For me, it was, I mean, you, you, you see it all the time. It was the Louis bag, right? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants the Louis bag, right? That's like the, 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 start, the, the starter bag for the MLB, the MLB yeah. rookies. I got a Louis bag, right? That yeah. means like, hey, I made it. Yeah, it's you so still creepy. have the Louis bag? <laughs> I still have my first Louis bag, yes. Yeah, me too. Yo, well, so I, you have one too, Harrison. I do, it's a yeah. starter. Once you, hey, once you're once you're a big leaguer, you get a Louis bag. That's yeah, certain it. check marks. You just have to you just have to knock off. That was actually my second purchase. My first purchase was a pair of black Saint Laurent suede boots, like the ones with the strap that go around. 
Um, those are the first ones, but then Dex is right. I mean, I went straight to, straight to got a Louis bag one and I cracked it open. It was still like the canvas was still like super tight. You had to like break it in and you put it down super gently. Like <laughs> you're like, I don't want to scratch the Louis. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then years go by and they last a lot. So, you know, you, you start throwing it around and it opens up, but no, nah, Dex is right. That Louis bag was a, uh, was a big one for me. <laughs> Louis bag and Louis shades. <laughs> <laughs> Alex and Nick loves it. Own it. Oh, hey, that's the first thing you gotta get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harrison, tell me about this t-shirt that you're wearing because you do have quite the eclectic collection yeah. of t-shirts. Uh, it's a vintage t-shirt um, inspired by Alice in Wonderland. It's got a cool graphic on the back too, but um, the vintage t-shirts, I think they they are a lot of fun because they're all really different. A lot of them are really old, so they kind of go through natural progressions and and being distressed and whatnot so um yeah i think the vintage t-shirts play well some of them are ripped up in certain areas and it kind of it just i think it looks cool i love that and dexter you and i were talking a little bit before the panel started but you have a special message special message on your t-shirt which i love so tell us about what you're wearing i just got a few black icons on here malcolm x harriet tudman langston hughes maya angelo and frederick douglas so for me, um, just picking out, I mean, picking out something to wear is, uh, that's part of uh, who you are, right? So yeah. you, you, you pick out something and, and, and go at it like that. It, it's not for anybody else. It's for you. It makes you feel good. Right. So you wear it and occasionally people like it. Occasionally people don't, but you know, that's fashion, right? And again, that was the best dressed bird segment from the virtual winter warm up this past weekend. Uh, Jessica Radloff there, the host, with Dexter Fowler and Harrison Bader. I want to remind you that the Cardinals Kid Club, presented by Rawlings, is the exclusive fan club for kids 13 and under. So membership includes access to exclusive virtual events and items, including a free, free fleece blanket, as well as a wall sign, all of that for $33. You can join at cardinals.com slash kidscup. Stick around. Coming up next, we're going to wrap things up by giving away another 2021 Cardinals calendar. Stay tuned. It's the Cardinals... Uh, countdown to opening day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals radio network. This is the Cardinals countdown to opening day show presented by Amron on KMOX. I were wrapping it up for this week here on the Cardinals countdown to opening day show presented by Amron. Uh, obviously the next few weeks we'll be ramping it up even more with spring training right around the corner. And look, as of right now, Spring training is on as scheduled, so that's the plan. That's the one we're following, and we'll look forward to getting things going when we get to that time. Now it's time to give away a calendar, but first let me tell you how you can get your own if you're not the lucky winner today. So the 2021 Cardinals calendar celebrating 12 epic moments in Cardinals history this year, and it gets you ready for baseball. They've got the spring training schedule, the regular season schedule all in there, and you can pick yours up at area grocers and retailers or by calling 314-345-9000. Now, one of you lucky listeners is going to pick one up right now. So first caller at 314-531-1120. 314-531-1120. First caller picks up their copy of the 2021 Cardinals calendar for free. It's been a great week. We've, we've brought you some of the highlights from the virtual winter warm-up, and I know we're all looking forward to the time when things aren't virtual anymore <laughs> and we can do things in the real world. So, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, and hopefully we'll keep things rolling on schedule for the 2021 baseball season. For Mike Claiborne, I'm Kevin Wheeler saying thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you next week here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.